Hi, welcome to Back to Excited, episode 146. My name is Arvin. Join me as always, my colleague from PensionPlanPuppets.com. It's Acting the Fooliman. <laughs> Hi, everybody. I'm sorry, I can't stop laughing at the idea that we did one optimistic pod, and immediately after, the Leafs just face-planted so hard. <laughs> as yeah, if they were um... teaching us a cosmic <laughs> lesson, and then now we're just doing an intro like this. Yeah, so no no music, this podcast. The Leafs don't deserve it. No, they deserve only somber talking voices that are debating exactly how crappy they are, which we will provide. Yeah. Yes. Um, um, okay, so <laughs> I, I almost don't know where to begin because, you know, one of the things that we said, and I, we said yeah, this is kind of sappy, but, you know, we, could, we, could, we were proud of the Leafs team for how they responded to... Um, you know, the the game one, obviously not going to plan, and with a very scary moment of John Tavares' injury, with three straight wins looking like, hey, this is the team we expect them to be. They look like a good team. They look how, like they should. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's genuinely valid. And, I mean, being the Leafs, they kind of light that uh, sentiment on fire over the course of the next three games. Now, Look, let's get some stuff out of the way to start, because this is going to be very Leafs-focused, and we're going to talk a lot about what the Leafs did wrong. Mm -hmm. Uh, Montreal absolutely played better in games 5, 6, and 7 than they did throughout most of the first four games. Yes. Uh, Carey Price was excellent throughout. Yes, that's actually Uh, one of the many things I want to touch on, but we talked about reasons why you might favor the Habs in the series, which we didn't, but we said there are two potential things, and one of them is... Carey Price can elevate his play in the playoffs. And the other was the Leafs' core is in some way flawed that will show up in the playoffs. And we said we didn't believe either of those things. Extended pause. But anyway, so at least the first one uh, seems to have maybe had some validity to it. Maybe it's just a, a hot run or a small sample. But Carey Price looked a lot more like the goalie that the Habs paid $10.5 million for. Uh, as opposed to what he's looked like in recent regular seasons, which is very ordinary and sometimes right. substarter. Yeah, so the Habs in the last three games, I think, looked the way, you know, it, it was, it was, they looked the way that they had to in order to win the series. They were very good defensively. Mm-hmm. Um, the Deneau line really bottled up Matthews uh, and Marner, and we'll talk about Matthews and Marner specifically later, and there's a lot of talk about them, but. Throughout the first four games, um, they, the points weren't there, and the points never came. But I was genuinely happy with the play of, of those players to, in, the, in the first four games. I, mm-hmm. I thought they were doing the right things. And, you know, yes, it, you can't say that it's been an unqualified success because they are paid to put the puck in the net. But I wasn't overly concerned about that right? Uh, in that time, especially as, you know, the other parts of, of, of the Leafs were working well. Um, so yeah, Montreal absolutely deserves um, some credit for that. The, it, it's also worth saying that for as much as we would not, we want to credit Montreal and say, okay, yeah, these, you know, they they did well in games five, six, and seven. Games five and six were, or game five was a coin flip game. Mm-hmm. Game like genuinely, uh, the Montreal had a, had a lead, but throughout the game it was very very even, um, and then the Leafs kind of poured it on late but not in a way where it's like, you know, a futile effort or anything. I thought that was genuinely an even game. That was actually, you know, pretty fair for it to go to overtime. 
a game six was basically the equivalent of the Leafs game three, a game where you know one team kind of uh, had the run of play for the majority of the of the game and then turtled, and the other team, you know, in the case of Montreal, almost came back in game three, and in the case of Toronto, did come back only for it to be followed in overtime. Mm-hmm. Um, and then game seven was, I think, a kind of standard Montreal Montreal play, but th- these were not blowouts by Montreal and this this speaks to their status as an underdog we, we said before you know Montreal doesn't have the ability to the same degree that the Leafs do to blow out the opposition right it's worth noting that you know Montreal won basically uh one I guess there was four there were four close games in the series I would say and Montreal won three of them and the one that I said would wasn't close that they won was game seven because I, I I don't think that was you know it wasn't close Right. I think it's worth noting because we're going to probably draw some inferences about this team as a whole from a playoff series. Yeah. And I think a lot of uh, stats-oriented people are always hesitant to do that because they say playoffs are a small sample. A lot of things can happen in a pretty quick time frame and a lot can hinge on one or two bounces to an extreme degree. Like... If in Game 5, Alex Galchenyuk doesn't make one of the silliest plays of his NHL career, and instead the Leafs just get a bounce. The Buckets escape goes past Carey Price. Happens often enough. If that happens, the Leafs win in five games, and we're talking about what a resilient, impressive group they mostly are. Because, to that point, they had looked like a very good hockey team. I don't want to say this and then say, and see, then nothing else that happens subsequently matters. I don't believe that. I'm just saying we do want to keep some awareness of how thin the line can be. Between... It's very easy yeah. to see a world where the Leafs um, put, pull it together and actually advanced. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, Alan, uh, at loser points, or actually, sorry, at dipshit ass. <laughs> <laughs> we got to get him to listen to this episode just so that he can hear someone say his new Twitter handle on a podcast yeah. in a serious voice. Well, isn't, it at, isn't it like at dipshitass69 too? Yeah, it was. A, I feel like he just had, yeah, okay, had so enough anyways. of all the attention and he was like, I'm going to just make a complete fucking around Twitter handle and lock it. And he did. Good yeah. for him. So he, he did a, a post on his, on his newsletter, Scraps, where um, he pointed out that the Leafs had the eighth highest goal share in I think 250 playoff series. Uh, that he he tracked, which is like you know quite a bit of time, um, for a losing team. Right. So, put put another way, this was like the best one of the best uh, overall goal share performances by a losing team. Where and that's kind of the uh, result of you could call it poor sequencing luck. You can call it um, cluster luck. You can call it not being clutch. But basically, the Leafs won games. Won, they won two games by you know significant amounts and. Basically, every game they lost was by one goal or two goals in the case of Game 7. So their goal differential over the course of the series was positive. They scored more goals than Montreal over the course of the series. That's a good way to win series most of the time. Did not work this time. Right. And if you are of a particular mindset, you might say, look, this was another should happen series. The Leafs went cold at just the wrong time. They didn't get the results they wanted. When they got goals, they came in bunches. And unfortunately, that's not ideal. You can say all of those things, and people have said variants on them to me today. But I find it hard not to be concerned about the state of this team. 
I really do. And right. I, I think that there were a lot of things going on in the course of that series. And again, I know it's the playoffs. It's a short sample. It's prone to stuff like cluster luck and sequencing and things maybe not going your way and then you're out on your ass. Because again, the difference between the Leafs moving on in triumph and going home in disarray is one game going in the other direction. Is one goal in either of a couple of games. And yet, we've set playoffs as how we determine who wins at this sport. You know, the regular season is not the true test of merit, despite that tweet that everyone made fun of forever ago. And so, if you screw up in the playoffs enough times, that may mean something. And that may mean something significant about your team and its capacity to do stuff in the playoffs. It may also just be variance in noise, but I am finding it really tough to swallow that explanation. Maybe that's emotional reasoning, or maybe there is something that needs to change about this team. Right. This is kind of one of the fundamental issues with, with not issues, but I guess complexities that arise with sports analytics and, um, you know, applying kind of mathematical ideas and statistical ideas to this field. It's something I've mentioned many times, but like the challenge of sports is not necessarily that they're incredibly difficult to analyze. They can be, but you know, there's lots of things in the world that are very difficult to analyze. The climate is sounds seems fucking impossible to analyze, but people do it, right? Economies seem really hard to analyze, but people do it. I, I don't think hockey is so uniquely hard, but one of the challenges here is the, especially in North American sports, the, um, as you said, the the part where we hand out the awards, the part that matters, is inherently a tiny sample, and it is impossible to tell from a data point of view in those cases whether to attribute uh, a change in performance to variance or to a change in the underlying process. Right. It's very, very, very hard. Uh, and that's essentially what the Leafs are, are running into. Now, the Leafs have lost five playoff series in a row in the first round. Um, if they were all, you know, 50% uh, coin flips, then that's a 1 in 32 chance. So around 3%. Mm -hmm. uh, they weren't all 50% coin flips. I'd say we were less than 50 in, against Washington, probably at least, probably both the Boston ones, and we were probably above 50 for Columbus and, um, and for Montreal. But the fact remains, um, you know, this is a rather unlikely set of events to to have happened to a team that is genuinely good right it starts that, to feel like nobody's luck is probably this bad right and and that's you know someone's luck is this bad sometimes mm -hmm. right like that, that it's it's hard to disentangle but yeah you you do absolutely have to ask the question of okay well what are we what are we missing is there something inherent to this team that uh, it is causing these issues? You're doing yourself a disservice as an analyst, and certainly if you're a Toronto Maple Leafs front office employee, if you don't consider that question at least somewhat seriously. Now, that is not to say, as many unnamed executives in The Athletic have said recently, oh, Jesus that Christ. the Leafs' issue is a lack of grit. <laughs> oh, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to punch the next person who says that. 
It um, was baffling to me that... I, I mean, I know Pierre Lebrun is basically sort of a broadcast tower of a human being. Like, he receives signals, he relays those signals to other people. Here he did this quite explicitly, because the quotes were from various anonymous executives. But he, you know, some of them were saying, this is what happens when you don't learn to play defense. And I am very convinced, if you think that this Leafs series against the Habs is what happens when you don't play defense, you did not watch this series. The Leafs gave up two goals per game, uh, uh, right? Something like that? Yeah, it was 14 goals in... uh, in seven games against. Yeah, right? their and problem includes, was not defense by any stretch. Does there that were include mistakes. empty netters? Um, so, yeah, so I mean, it would be even less than that if it's including it. But yeah. yeah, so you find yourself saying, okay, really, is it defense? There were mistakes. There were turnovers. There were things that were not ideal, but every team has those. There is no team that has ever existed that has not made some mistakes that led to goals against. Because otherwise you would be perfect. But I do not think that defense was the issue. The issue was the Leafs have paid for star offense. And at a very critical turn in the series, they didn't get it. Right. I think that's certainly the biggest. I mean, again, this is one of those things. There there are so many ways where, you know, one tweak somewhere, maybe the Leafs win. Right. right? There's a lot of those. Um, So there's, and as a result, there's a lot of issues. Mm -hmm. Right. But it's certainly hard to turn away from the fact that yeah you know the the Leafs are paying star forwards a lot of money to put the puck in the net to be good defense proof to be good goalie proof Mm -hmm. right to to we we pay Austin Matthews money which I largely think he's worth based on you know how good he's been over the course of his young career to do the hardest thing in the game to do consistently which is score goals and we, we say we want you to score goals. We don't care who's in net. We don't care who you face. You are getting paid, you know, the second most, uh, yeah, second highest amount in the league. You have to score goals. And he didn't do that this time. And, you know, that's, it's hard to look beyond that. And it's the same thing for Mitch Marner. We pay you to create offense. And they didn't create offense, at least in the back half of the series when it started, when, you know, the chips were down. Mm-hmm. Right in in the first half of the series, again as I mentioned, they were performing well enough that with the rest of the team humming, it wasn't something that appeared to be a major issue. Right, or was or at least it was something that the Leafs seemed to be able to work around uh, for for the time. And we were hoping, okay, you know, it. We, we even said last time, if you're Montreal, it's got to be scary that those guys haven't gotten going. You're still down three one. Yes, and as it turned out. They continued to not get going, and Montreal began flipping the script on them. We did say in the run-up to this series, in our preview, that one of the greatest strengths of the Habs was that Deneau line. I think that's been borne out. I think Philip Deneau had a superb defensive series, just in terms of he prevented Austin Matthews from scoring for the most part. And that's a huge achievement, even if you get outshot. Uh, assuming you're not just getting lucky and benefiting from great goaltending. I think there were multiple factors there. But the issue with this team is, if you boil it down to, okay, it was a short slump, how much responsibility do they bear for that short slump? How much should we be able to say, okay, no, you just got to go out and get it done 
when it counts. And how much does it matter that this happened against Columbus too? How much does it matter that against Boston, the Leafs did not look that impressive in the final game? And, and, you know, you can say, okay, we're getting farther and farther away from the present in time. Those examples are less relevant. But they do play a role in how people talk about this team and how everyone feels that the Leafs collapsing in the playoffs is inevitable. And so we're trying to separate out how much of this is noise, sample size, variance, bad luck. Um, how much of it is things that we can expect our players to control that we're paying them to be able to control. And I don't think that it's enough to just say, well, they were good in the regular season, and so it's fine and it'll work itself out. I would like to be able to say that because it would mean we don't have very much to worry about. Matthews and Marner were extraordinarily productive in the regular season. But it is concerning to me that a very good defensive line, granted, uh, in front of a goalie who was playing at a very high level, but still, it is concerning to me that this line that we've invested so much in, that we've basically declared as the strength and purpose of our team, was not able to produce, was not able to get it done. And frankly, seemed ineffective. You know, I, I mean, I, I'm privileging my, my own perspective on this, but like they did not seem dangerous to the extent that you need them to be. So if Certainly we're not in the last half of games, and, no, or sorry, no. in, the last, in the last half of the series. Right, and that's, to be clear, that's definitely weighting my analysis. Um, again, well, the, the, the Leafs you, looked great in the first four games, for the most part. Yeah, you, you look at Marner and Matthews on ice stats, and it looks absolutely just like, okay, this is a PDO slump. Yep. Right? 100%, 100% that's what it looks like. If it, was, if it was the regular season, that's what we would say. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, but it's not the regular season. And it feels unsatisfying to some extent to say that. And part of that is, you know, we're fans and we want there to be reasons. We feel bad and we want to point at someone and make them feel bad or have a reason for why this happened. And it, and yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's been, it's just hard to, it's hard to, to fully pin down, I find. Right. Um, and there, With there are obviously like multiple factors that go into this, right? You know, yeah, you only yeah. need a couple of bounces to change the narrative, to change how things are going. But what gets me is this. We have built a team on the Stars and Scrubs model. That team has been premised on, we are going to have four quite highly paid offensive players, three extremely highly paid offensive players by NHL standards. But what that's going to give us is unanswerable forward strength. We are going to be so good that it's going to be very hard to go up against us. Now, John Tavares being injured really hurts that. That's a big deficit for us uh, to overcome. But what concerns me is that this strength that is supposed to be our road to contention, that relies on quality play from Marner and Matthews, has not been in evidence towards the end of this series, was not sufficient against Columbus. Columbus and Montreal are two teams that, by most measurements, are worse than the Leafs, that we would expect to be less talented. And yet, this kept happening. And if this is 
a repeated issue. The question is, how do you fix it? Well, last season, what Kyle Dubas seemed to think was, was that the team got rattled. You know, like that they didn't have enough grit, veteran presence, someone to sort of steady things and keep the ship level to get through these difficult situations. So he added Joe Thornton, Wayne Simmons, uh, eventually Nick Foligno at the trade deadline, Zach Bogosian, and we had all of those guys, and it does not appear to have made a hell of a lot of difference. What it gave us was a couple of uh, dubious depth players. Bogosian was fine. Joe Thornton looked like he was pretty much done. I don't know that he's still an NHL player anymore, or he's on the edge of retirement. You know, we we tried to add a psychological element that we felt was missing, and it wasn't enough. So the question becomes, why does this keep happening? And we can only say that it's bad luck and shooting variants so many times in a row before that starts to ring a little hollow. And it may be true, but I, I just do not think that that's the most likely outcome anymore. I can't convince myself that everything is fine and that if we run it back, it'll work itself out. Maybe it could. And I fully recognize that this is somewhat disappointment talking. But I've thought Mitch Marner, and I'm, I'm singling him out specifically here, I've thought Mitch Marner was overpaid since the instant he signed that contract. It was disproportionate to other contracts of his peers, and it's a lot of money. And I think that shows up when we don't have enough depth, when we're playing guys who are geriatric in hockey terms to supplement our, our core. And when Marner himself is struggling to break through and you can say, well, maybe that happens, but we got to find an answer here. And if you have core players who are also highly paid, like Mitch Marner, you find yourself saying, okay, we have a core that can't break through and we have depth that we can't afford to make good. Our only hope is to keep hitting the lottery the way we did with Jason Spezza on depth contracts that they greatly outperform. Well, I don't think you can do that that consistently. It's just not an answer to say, go always get all the best free agents on the market and sign them for nothing. At some point, something is going wrong here. And it's a bit like, you know, generals fighting battles. You can say the terrain was against us. We had uh, bad luck and things went wrong in the wrong time and the communication wires got cut and something else. But if you keep losing battles as a general, you get unemployed because the measure of success is victory. In sports, the measure of success is victory, and the Leafs are losing. So, there has to be a response at some point. I don't think tinkering around the edges, which was the response last time, is adequate anymore. So, One of the many reasons why this is a particularly um, awful exit is that it's not getting easier. So, look, we, we credited Montreal at the start. The Habs fans have stopped listening, so I can say this. That's a shit team. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that's hyperbolic, but they're, they're a league average team. They're not without merits. They, have, they do some things well. That league average teams are going to be above average in some areas of, of, of play. That's what mm -hmm. the Habs are. Columbus is not a great team. They do some things well. You know, a lot of teams do some things well. It, it, it's not... It doesn't make them great. Yeah. So, 
you know, there, there was there was there was a modicum of an excuse when you're losing to the president's trophy winning trophy winning Capitals, when you're losing to a Boston team that gets to the Cup final, a Boston team that gets to the uh, conference final. You know, it's not it's not incredibly popular to say, but yeah, I I do see some. I guess some merit in, you know, in in losing valiantly to them. It, it's not a really a replacement for anything good, but you can point to it and say, look, we were competitive with a great team, and that matters. You look at, you know, the last two years. That absolutely does not apply. Mm-hmm. What do you think is going to happen, assuming Montreal or Winnipeg? You know, so either one of them gets to the next round. They face, say, Colorado. I mean, I, maybe they'll prove me wrong, but it's hard not to feel that Colorado would stomp them into dust. They will get a goalie run or they will get destroyed. Those are the two outcomes I can see. And But that's the problem here, is we've built the Leafs. I say we. Kyle Dubas has built the Leafs. The Leafs are built. Yeah, yeah they're not my problem. Yeah, no. I'm dissociating from them now. <laughs> Fuck that uh, first-person pronoun. Uh, no, the Leafs are built on the premise that this is enough to be a contender, that this is good enough. You really should not be like sort of a small slump away from getting knocked out by fucking Columbus, by the Montreal Canadiens, if you are a genuine contender. And if you aren't a genuine contender, then you have to ask why and what's going to change. This path and this is what you were getting at, this path was as easy as they're ever going to get. Montreal and Winnipeg in the first two rounds should be a cakewalk for a playoff team. And you say, oh, hey, you're not giving Montreal any credit. Well, fuck it. Because good teams um, don't stumble against average teams this hard. I just can't get around that. You know, you don't get to play the Buffalo Sabres in the playoffs. Everyone there is at least sort of passable. But Montreal was at the bottom of the playoff pile. For a reason. So was Columbus in the qualifying round. It just feels really telling that we run into these problems. And if the issue is just you can throw a good defensive line at uh, our top line and you can cause them enough trouble that this team becomes very vulnerable to variance. Jeez, uh, I, I sound like the V for Vendetta guy. But uh, it just feels like there should be more margin for bad luck, if we're as good as we seem to think. Right, and the other thing is, I mean, because I know people are going to bring up, oh, you know, Tampa was the best team in the league and they got swept by Columbus. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's fair. You could say that, you know, they should have had more margin or whatever uh, as well. But Tampa also had a history of winning some series. Mm-hmm. Right, we, we are over. Yeah. Right, there's, there's nothing in the positive side of the ledger. And that that matters. I agree with your point generally because, like, again, you, you you look you look at how the series has gone. It's so easy to see how it goes differently. It's so easy to see how the same performance from the Leafs just sees something small change and they win. And then we're saying, okay, that you know, depending on when that bounce happens, uh, we say, oh, what a great performance, or oh, okay, got a bit nervy at the end, but that was a deserved win, you know, yada yada yada. This is a kind of not unpre- completely unprecedented, but it's an uncommon per- level of performance 
to result in a in a loss in a playoff series, mm-hmm. right? The Leafs won the five on five battle. They won the special teams battle. Uh, in aggregate, they won every battle. They just did it inefficiently, mm-hmm. in the sense that you know, you'd rather win four games by one goal than one game by four. Right, but you know, if we told this to. Uh, I don't know, the kind of executive who talks anonymously to The Athletic. But if you told this even to most hockey people, they would say, yeah, great, you put up margins in games two and four. You know, you didn't put up margins in game five, in game six, in game seven, and you probably played your worst hockey of the series coming out in game six, and then in game seven where the Leafs looked like a popgun offense. That is telling. Or at least it no, feels that, like that, it is. That I yeah. think that I think is absolutely damning to an mm-hmm. extent. Where, where where it's look on aggregate, aggregate, you can point to the series and say a lot of things could have gone different. I've said that a few times already. But the reality is, the path that the Leafs were on led them to Game Six. It led them to Game Seven. Mm-hmm. And when you're in that position, you have to say, okay, yeah, things could have gone different. We could we could already be out of here. Right. But we are in the position we're in. All we can do is do what is best going forward. Right, it doesn't matter how we got here. And right, like treat it yeah at, like a Markov process to make a nerdy math reference. Yeah. Right, it, all that matters is where we are now. And yeah, they they laid an egg, and that was absolutely embarrassing. Mm-hmm. And again, look, let's give the Habs some credit. They, you know, the other guys are pros too. They they executed what they needed to do, but the Leafs clearly didn't. And I I. It's one of those things where I don't even know what it is. And hockey is one of those sports that's so weird to me. Where, you know, between periods, between games, the same teams play and it's just totally different. Mm -hmm. And there's like no underlying huge structural shift. It's just completely different. One team dominates, then another dominates. It's bonkers to me how that happens so regularly in hockey. It's so strange. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the, the Leafs needed to, you know, in those in those tough games in those games where everything's on the line that those are their worst performances and that is um really really disappointing to see really disappointing right the thing that gets me is we are paying our core players to be stars to be big game players to come up like that and maybe you say i don't really believe that that's even much of a thing Okay, but we've paid them sort of on the idea that they are. Because if the idea is just a lot of this is really subject to variance, and who knows, then we probably should still be looking at a more balanced roster. Where we're not to... probably be looking to eat at Arby's. (laughs) Yeah, we should just give up because it's entirely random and variant. And you know what? Hockey has a lot of chance in it. You know, and again, I'm not totally dismissing the role that luck plays in some of this and i'm acknowledging if luck goes differently we feel very differently and we talk very differently but i think part of the premise of these big contracts to these core players is that you will get players who break through in a big way in games that can fail to happen you know once that can fail to happen a couple of times but when the worst performances seem to happen at the biggest moments consistently, you wonder, is there something in terms of psychology, in terms of the yips, as Justin Bourne said, importing a concept from golf, uh, just in terms of nervousness of the sense of here we go again. Um, 
or maybe just in the sense of when everyone is giving 110%, when everyone is in do or die mode, does that end up affecting certain players worse than others? My suspicion is that when everyone is playing at a very high level and is playing well defensively, I am not convinced that a player like Mitch Marner is quite as effective as he is normally. Doesn't mean that I think that he's bad, so, but I... Yeah, so this is an interesting yeah. thing to discuss, because we, we were chatting about this offline, mm-hmm. um, you know, at various points. And, you know, something, something that's brought up in the NBA a lot is the concept of an 82-game player and a 16-game player. Right. 82-game player is a regular season player. A 16-game player is a guy who succeeds in the playoffs. In the NBA, it's more obvious to me that the playoff game is different from the regular season game. There are some very obvious reasons for this. Stars will play 40 minutes instead of 30 minutes, right? Defensive intensity ramps up, right? I think it's a bit of a meme. It's like, oh, NBA players don't try on defense in the regular season. But, I mean, yeah, there's certainly more defensive intensity in the playoffs. Fast break points tend to dry up a little bit as teams are more diligent about getting back in transition. The NBA is, of course, a lot more structured than hockey because you have a basketball in your hands as opposed to being controlled on a slippery surface via a tool like you could do have with a hockey puck and a stick. And because it's a slower game, possession is a lot more clear-cut in basketball. Tendencies and strategies and tactics are a lot more clear. You can plan more precisely what you're going to do with your offense in basketball in a way that you cannot do in hockey. And that means that you can strategize to attack an opposing team's worst defender. Or you can create a defense that exploits a weakness in someone else's offense. And that's what a 16-game player kind of rebukes, right? The idea of a 16-game player is someone who, even under increased defensive attention, under increased scrutiny, under um, you know the full weight of a coaching staff trying to take away their best options, they will succeed because they're either their best options are too overwhelming uh, or because they have so many options that you can't possibly take away all of them. Mm-hmm. And something we chatted about, I think actually in the wake of last year, after Nylander and Marner in particular had pretty poor playoffs or, or qualifying rounds, is, you know, are we sure these guys are 82-game players? Or, uh, are, or, sorry, are we sure these guys are, can be 16-game players in addition to being 82-game players? Mm-hmm. And... I think that's an open question because to me it's not clear how the playoff how playoff NHL games vary with respect to regular season NHL games at least in totality there's some ways in which it's clear yes it does get more physical people finish checks more although penalty calls actually go up in the playoffs from what I've seen um not by a huge amount I don't think but like is there something about their games that make them be less effective in the playoffs now Nylander seemingly answered that to a degree here, mm-hmm. right? He was, at least visually, incredibly active offensively, incredibly engaged. Uh, he had a very tough job, right? His on-ice stats certainly are nowhere near Matthews or Marner, uh, with the exception of kind of goals four, which, of course, he had a hand in. But he's also playing with kind of no-hopers around him. Right, yeah. His centers were like Alex Kerfoot, who had a good series, um, at times Riley Nash, at times Nick Foligno, and then Alex Galchenyuk, sometimes on the opposite wing. Um, that's not an ideal position. And so the fact that he did well, you know, I think that's to his credit. But right. I think that... 
so, so sorry. Yeah, so go ahead. Just to yep. finish the thought. To to your point, I think kind of what you were what you were saying about Marner is that maybe there's something that's inherent to his game as a perimeter playmaker that genuinely does fail to translate in the playoffs. And I think we inherently, as stats people, kind of reject try, initially reject that sort of idea. Mm-hmm. We tend to think if they're a good player in the regular season, they're a good player in the playoffs. Because we've seen so many examples where that's the case. And there's been so many, I guess, false alarms of this guy can't succeed in the playoffs. And then that guy succeeds in the playoffs. Right. Phil Kessel is a very obvious recent example. Mm-hmm. Jordan Eberle is another recent example. Um, I'm sure I could think of, you know, plenty more uh, if, you, if you gave me a few more minutes. And then, you know, the, the converse is we're told so often this guy's a playoff performer and then they don't really do much. Nick Felino didn't do a lot. And, you know, this is as someone who was a lot more bullish on that acquisition than, than many other people because I could see the logic. And it's unfortunate that we never really saw it kind of get to work as intended in part due to injury, mm-hmm. both on Felino's part and throughout the rest of the lineup with uh, Tavares specifically. Um, but yeah, like Nick Felino was supposed to be a playoff guy. Wayne Simmons was supposed to be a playoff guy. I love Wayne Simmons, but man, that guy sucked in the playoffs. He wasn't very good, and it's too bad. I mean... We focused on the players up till now, but we have to acknowledge, you know, I said Cal Dubas has set the playoffs as a test for himself. He's gone out to get playoff players, um, so conceived, and he owns if they work. And when we said that in game four, it looked like it was working pretty well. And that was to his credit. By the same token, the fact that a lot of those acquisitions were pretty ineffective in the last few games, that was the idea. You know, the idea was to get playoff players. And the fact that these guys didn't really deliver, uh, that does sort of tell against him. Similarly, I've seen some people complaining about Sheldon Keefe, and I certainly don't think he covered himself in glory. He didn't seem to have uh, much of an answer for how to improve the team. The power play remained concerning right to the end. Um but I do find myself coming back around to the issue with Marner being something like this. The distinction between Eberly and Kessel, and Kessel, you know, had retained salary by the time he got to Pittsburgh. He was making 6.8. Eberly was, I think, on a $6 million deal. Yep. Um, Mitch Marner makes $11 million against the cap, or just under it. And I know people don't like the dollars and cents angle so much, but it has to be emphasized, that's a lot of fucking money. You know, it just is. And in a cap league, those are players you don't have. Even just compared to what I thought he was probably worth at the time, I thought he was worth maybe $9 million against the salary cap. That's another $2 million. That's a better player. That's a $5 million center that you have uh, instead of Alex Kerfoot if you want to upgrade that. You know, you can say, well, Kerfoot wasn't the problem, but like, that's a lot. And that's so much more than any player who you would call complimentary is making. You know, that puts him in a salary bracket with guys like Matthews, who, who again, I'm concerned about, but I have more confidence in, or Artemi Panarin, who I consider to be the best winger on the planet. Um, that's a problem. And so you have that standard set for himself. I don't hold the negotiation against him per se, because he has every right to negotiate in his own best interest. He set a big number and he got it out of the team. But that now turns around and says, okay, to be worth that contract, 
you have to elevate your game. You have to be good at the things that we care about in the playoffs. And if you don't, then we have made a mistake here and we need to take measures to address it. I am seeing such a gap between the player that I need Mitch Marner to be for $11 million and the player that Mitch Marner has been in the course of these playoff series that I can't reconcile it and I'm thinking it's time for a change. I don't hate him personally, to be clear. I don't think anyone should be a prick to him on social media. Those people are douchebags. And I don't think that he doesn't want it. I think he wants it very, very much. I'm just saying, at this level, you have to be able to deliver in a big way. And again, maybe I'm being unforgiving of variance, but like the gap between what he is supposed to be, what he is being paid for, and what he was is too enormous to overlook. Regular season be damned. And for the record, you know, he's a very good player, but I also am like, Matthews and Tavares are <laughs> some pretty fine centers to get to play with. Like, he would be very good in any event, but I do think that that's buffed up his counting stats a little bit. Um, Jump, yeah. Jumping around, I do want to revisit the Marner stuff eventually, but uh, yeah. you, you, you brought up uh, a point with respect to the coaching staff that I want to that I want to mention. Um, one of the things we've talked about a couple times here is giving yourself a buffer to withstand some poor luck, you know, like the, or, or, you know, to kind of cover for other deficiencies. If you want to say we're not clutch enough to score goals at the right times or whatever. Or, you know, you want to say, yeah, you know, to account for the fact that you can go cold. Um, one of the things that at least you're supposed to get a buffer on was the power play. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, their power play outperformed Montreal's here, but again, you know, we're paying $40 million for four forwards. Our power play should be among the best in the league. Right. And it, it wasn't. And it, it was, for a long time, we kind of just said, okay, you know, we don't really know what's wrong. They're just trying all this weird stuff. It doesn't seem to work. And, yeah, like, we, we've, we've made many suggestions, um, some of which they've tried and some of which has, has worked. Some of it has not. Uh, I'm, we're not pretending we have the answers here. But... Yeah, the power play was absolutely a problem because, you know, you can you, it can bail you out of games you otherwise don't deserve to win. Mm-hmm. And ours, you know, should be something that does that's able to do that, and it wasn't, right? There were some very obvious things that went wrong. Joe Thornton stayed on it far too long. Um, I, I think Marner got a lot of shit for his uh, kind of play on the power play, and in particular with how little of a shot threat he is. Mm-hmm. And... I think that's justified to an extent. Um, it, it, it does constrain you, uh, having someone who, you know, defenses don't seem to respect as a shot. Um, what constrains you even more is having another guy like that. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, I fail to see a world in which it makes theoretical sense to have both Thornton and Marner on a power play because neither of them shoot. Yeah. Or neither of them are the people you want to be shooting, right? Um and neither of them really seem to get the respect of defenses as a shooter. So that was one kind of obvious issue. Um, something else that we said, and we, we pointed this out really early on. We actually kind of walked it back, and maybe we shouldn't have. Uh, we walked it back when the least power play was doing really well. But it's like, why are, we, why are we always doing this thing where we're like, we'll split up the power play, and then we'll get a crucial third period power play, and then we'll play what everyone thinks we should play, which is like the four main forwards in Riley. Mm-hmm. Right? Or in this case, you know, you replace Tavares with Hyman. And it's like, well, okay, you know, the same thing happened here. Like, why are we fucking around with all this stuff when we know in our heart of hearts what 
you know, that we need to overwhelm with talent at a certain point. Yes, especially in the playoffs so, where it's like you're in a string of close games for the most part, you yeah, know? Like, what like, are we saving this for? Yeah, there's like, there's no future waiting that's going to be more important. Uh-huh. And, you know, I, I I do think that that was, that was concerning. That was a problem. You know, we... I know that this is at the risk of, again, emotional reasoning, but I find myself thinking, okay, we have all of this talent... Either we paid for the wrong thing, or we're misusing it, or something is going awry there, but we're built on the idea that we can get certain results out of certain players, and we've been failing to do so when it counted. Yeah. And so, and again, yeah. this was this was an offensive player, offensive failure for the second year in a row, right? So, I mean, maybe we should have emphasized this more. I'll say it again for emphasis. This was an offensive failure, this series. Yeah. The last, um, last two games, really, I, I would characterizes the the biggest failure of this series yeah and against good defensive teams but like we're saying you will run into those in the nhl playoffs you know like i do not have a lot of patience for some of the excuses that i still see a few people trying to trot out and i find myself thinking okay we're built on the idea that we aren't going to get torpedoed by bad luck. If the you know, and you can say the Tavares injury, which is maybe a little undiscussed in all this, is the worst piece of bad luck, and that's true. But we have a team that's so top heavy, salary wise, so we are vulnerable to one injury, and you know, then we find ourselves going down against a kind of a pop gun offensive team in Montreal, and you can draw very obvious contrasts with the Tampa Bay Lightning, who were missing Stephen Stamkos for all but five minutes of their cup run. And they were able to come through it because they were an extraordinary team. The thing that I, I'm... Murphy. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Finish sorry, finish I'm, I'm just oh, rambling oh. a little bit here, but I just... No, go ahead. The thing that I'm wrestling with, as much as anything, is obviously the loss to Montreal stings, brings it into sharp relief, it sucks. But also, it really emphasizes the gap between where we're supposed to be and where we are. Like, let's say it's results agnostic, you know? Like, we don't care whether or not the Leafs won the series, per se, for one second. Is it good enough that a team that has contending pretensions didn't get anything out of its top line in key games? You know, like, that just strikes me as a problem. Like, let's say the Leafs somehow squeaked it out in Game 7. Would it be okay that Marner and Matthews were were this kind of punchless and you say, well, they would get an opportunity to redeem themselves in the next round, but still all of this stuff makes me think that we're not as close as we ever thought we were. And, and maybe some of it was just, we were unfortunate in Montreal and they're a bad match. And maybe some of it was the North division was never that strong, but I, I'm really wrestling with the gap between what we're supposed to be and what we appear to be. Sorry, you were saying, yeah, so um, this goes to one of your earlier points. Blake Murphy of The Athletic, he's a Raptors writer. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in the playoffs, the, so the NBA equivalent of hot, uh, hot shooting slash good goaltending is hot shooting, often hot three-point shooting, where, you know, for a small sample of, uh, of shots, a team can just go absolutely red hot or ice cold from three, and that has absolutely swung games and playoff series before. Right. And I think, you know, what, what he said is, 
yes, every team is subject to that, but you can, your job as, you know, uh, a coach or as a, as a player or, you know, as anyone who's interested in how these teams can succeed is to try and do everything else well and maximize your edges everywhere else, everything that you can control so that you can insulate yourself to that to the extent possible. And you can never, you can never send risk to zero. Um, but the fact that this keeps kind of happening to the Leafs sense that uh, provides some evidence that we don't have as much of a buffer as we would like to if we were, you know, a contending team, mm-hmm. right? And this is to the point of, that I brought up earlier about um, the the Lightning. It's like, yeah, they lost to uh, to Columbus, but even putting aside their cup run the following year, they had other performances where they did give themselves enough buffer and they did win close series where some things went against them. Mm-hmm. Right, the Leafs have never established that, and that's why this is, um, you know, so so troubling. Now, the other thing is, we talked earlier about. I feel like everything I'm saying is something that we've re- referred to earlier, but we we mentioned earlier about okay, you know, path isn't getting any easier. The other problem is John Tavares isn't getting any younger. We knew when we, we signed that deal that years one to three are where we had to make hay, and that years four to seven are probably going to be rougher. Yeah. Well, years one to three came and went. We have won zero playoff series. Um, and there is no way to spin that other than it's an egregious failure and that we have let John Tavares down because he has, by and large, held up his end of the bargain. Yeah, he was quite good against Columbus when much of the team wasn't. And obviously in this series, he took a brutal injury and was working very hard to try and get himself back in the game to the point where I was a little worried about it because I, you know he wants to be out there at the first opportunity, but he never got a chance to play again. It's it's pretty brutal that after all those years pining for a hometown free agent to come home, a star finally did, and this was all we did for him. It's not for want of trying, but it's still a pretty sad outcome. And you know, when he left Long Island, we were saying, after nine years, this was all they could give him was, you know, like one playoff appearance in a one round or something. Now I find myself More saying, than we've done. yeah, I find myself saying a similar thing about his first three years here. Anyway, I don't think he's going to evaporate or anything like that. But yeah, the gap between what he's paid and what he's providing is going to grow in the years to come. And in his case, that was sort of baked in. He was an unrestricted free agent and we were aware of age. But yeah, I, I mean, I find this pretty glaring and, and I it just makes me question the way that we've chosen to build this team the stars and scrubs model we've talked about that a lot as something that we generally believe in but it may have swung too far we have paid our stars a lot of money and somewhere along the line either we paid them more than they were worth we overestimated their star quality or we just overestimated how much stars can overcome lack of depth. But again, like I find myself kind of fighting against the stats nerd in my head who wants to say, look, it's the playoffs. Shit happens. It's a small sample. But the playoffs that are what we've decided matter, and this team keeps failing. And I do not see a way to talk myself around from that issue. Um, With the stars yeah. and scrubs model, I mean... 
the stars and scrubs model is, your star, is predicated on your stars playing like stars. And again, I, I part of me feels shitty about saying, oh, Matthews and Marner were, were awful in the series. They had like a 65% XG. You know, the, I think they were relatively good in terms of actual goals. Like, I think they actually did outscore Montreal over the course of the series. But it's just the, the when things went bad, they they didn't seem to provide the offense that we needed. Yeah. Not didn't seem to. They didn't. Mm-hmm. They they didn't provide the offense that we um, that we needed right in in the last few games and yeah like that's what a stars and scrubs model is based on it's based on your stars never going cold so to speak and maybe that's the maybe that's the fundamental flaw that we have right and other teams have similar stars that they just pay a lot less for yeah right um, and part of that is luck there, there's absolutely a part of it that is luck I mean I think Colorado is a wonderfully well managed team. Uh, who has who have made a lot of really great acquisitions, mm-hmm. right? Um, how much of that is possible if Nathan McKinnon isn't making six mil? Right. Less, less than they have. Right. So yes, there's absolutely there's absolutely luck involved, and don't let anyone tell you different. But that doesn't mean that Colorado does not deserve credit for the things that they have maximized around that good luck, and it doesn't mean that um, the Leafs are not to blame for at least to, to some extent acquiescing to the pretty onerous contract demands of, you know, their star players. Yeah. I mean, if you look at Colorado's cap sheet, the highest paid player is Miko Rantanen, making 9.25 against the salary cap. And it's just like, if you if you can say, look, I think Mitch Marner is great. I think he's a very good player. I think he wants to win. I think he's doing everything that he can personally. That's all fine. That doesn't have to be a condemnation of him morally or as a person. You don't have to dislike him. And again, I do get uh, uncomfortable and kind of repelled when people treat it like he actively wants this team to fail. Of course he doesn't. But this league is about what you can do and you need to be paid for what you can do. If he can't give us $11 worth of value, then I'm sorry. In a cap league, that's a serious problem. And, you know, if we're getting significantly less than that when it matters most, there's a question of what we're doing here. If we just give up and saying, okay, well, look, look, luck is bad, shit happens, just keep running it back forever and hope the playoffs are different. Uh, I mean, that's the kind of logic that ends with me thinking maybe I should stop watching hockey because it's basically a coin flip competition. Maybe there's some truth in that, but I'm not willing to resign myself to the idea that players have so little control over the playoff results over time. So if this team is flawed, if this team is not where it needs to be to be a contender, the question becomes, what do we do about it? And I've already shown my cards here by saying, I think it has to be trade Ms. Marner. Yeah. Okay. So before yeah. we go get into that, mm-hmm. I'll, 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 I guess, inject a little bit of lightheartedness into this discussion. <laughs> We could use it. Because it's been pretty good. Yeah, cool. it has. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, I do, I do want to say, I thought Morgan Riley and TJ Brody were really good during the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I've been a harsh critic of Riley over the over the years. Um, I, would, I shouldn't say a harsh critic, because that makes it sound like I don't think he's a good player. I think he's, I think he's a good player. It's just he's, he has very obvious deficiencies. Yeah. Um, you know, remarkably, we didn't see him get turnstiled by Josh Anderson in a way that resulted in a goal, which... Um, I would have definitely put money on if you could have put money on that before. Uh, so, I mean, look, R- Riley's a, 
I, one of my favorite Leafs personally. I was really happy to see him do well. Brody has been awesome. So yeah, I mean, there 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 were some bright spots there. Um, yeah, I, I mean, Kyle Dubas can take some it, credit it for what it's worth on Brody and Muzzin. Good defense acquisitions. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And there's there's you know absolutely some kind of silver linings to take, although it never really feels like it. And especially when you lose a series as a prohibitive favorite, being up three one, you know the silver linings. They're they're less a silver and more like a pigeon shit one. <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, it's you know it's it's I'm glad to see those guys perform. If this was Zach Hyman's last, you know, game as a Leaf, and I think it probably was. Um, yeah, you know he he's he's a real testament to how to to work ethic to the value of having just that motor that doesn't stop. So. You know, I, I will have fond memories of some parts of this uh, Leafs team, which is like an incredibly um, <laughs> faint praise. There are, this was not completely horrible in every single aspect. Um, I, you know, Spezza was obviously a huge bright spot this entire year and deserves to be able to punch any Leaf, any other Leaf player as many times as they want, <laughs> as many times as he wants, rather. Yeah, because um, he did just forever. Yeah, he did everything in his power. That man deserves a cup. Like he's with the incredible showing I, that he had. Oh, if it were allowable and if like Jason Spezza wants to do it, I would want him to sign a, a two week contract with Colorado right now. Seriously, I, I wish it was doable. Yeah, just get his name on there because like what more is the man supposed to do besides, you know, not sign with the Toronto Maple Leafs who are obviously cursed by the Pharaohs. But yeah, you know, like, there are positive things about this team. They're not, you know, totally beyond redemption, all of them, or anything like that. And it'll get easier to remember that as we get further from this loss. But I do find myself thinking, like, look, there were issues that kind of showed up here, and it's it's pretty damning. It's pretty glaring. Yes. Um, yeah. To, to counteract that levity... Man, I tweeted about this, but uh, I think it's, it deserves being mentioned again. Carey Price is going to lead player polls until, like, fucking 2070 at this point now. Carey, <laughs> Just because of this yeah, series. And you know what? Carey Price has owned <laughs> us. We, we laughed at his stupid contract, which I still wouldn't want in a million years. And we were like, oh, he's been terrible for the several seasons. And then he just friggin' owned us. So, g- good job, Carey. You have defeated a couple of blog nerds. You son of a bitch. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know what? He actually seems a, like a really a, nice guy. Well, I feel kind of bad about. No, he he, he does, yeah. and it's frustrating because it's frustrating for, in the sense. Okay, yeah, obviously our favorite team lost, yeah. so that it, but beyond that, I'm still pretty sure we're right. I tend to think so. You know what the? F- I, <laughs> I I I don't. Okay, so again, this this whole playoff thing is weird to me because it's like why? It, it, it's like that that joke about like you know. As as the largest person, why does they why do they just not eat the other? Ones? Like, well, if he's if he could always be the best goaltender, why doesn't he just always fucking be the best goaltender? Because then it wouldn't be special. Right? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills, <laughs> right? Yeah, so I don't I don't get it. At the same time, like his playoff numbers are genuinely very very good in his career. Yeah, he he hasn't. I mean, he he had some foibles earlier, but I think everyone does. Um, so at a certain point, maybe you accept it as real, but it's also like. You know, even if it's real, I still wouldn't pay that much money for a, a below-average goaltender in the regular season who becomes an above-average goaltender in the playoffs. Yeah, 
Like it's still that's still not an efficient use of money. Yeah, I don't some, think. something a little um, funny is going on there. But uh, I mean, yeah, and again, yeah. it's not again. Well, maybe hopefully this doesn't bite me in the ass. But th- this is Montreal Stanley Cup, realistically. Yeah. Although, like, I'm almost in the this sort of jaded state where I'm just sort of like, you know what? Let them and the fucking Islanders win the cup. I don't care anymore. Maybe I, I've just like maxed out on depression, but. I've just resigned myself to good things will never happen to us. Hockey is a veil of tears and misery. All of the worst teams and people defeat us and humiliate us in painful fashion. And God is dead. So that's my analysis of uh, of hockey. But I also do think, like, if Montreal runs into real competition in the third and fourth rounds, they're going to be in real trouble. I can't get around mm. that. And so, yeah. I would agree, and I hope very sincerely that we are not wrong on that, too. Yeah. Um, I I mean, I feel like I'm mixing references to viral tweets here, but the Leafs really are, like, the villain in a team, uh, the villain team in a movie, like, that involves Airbud. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, we, we absolutely just get beat by the team that has a dog, or, or like, you know, uh, the, the team where it's a ragtag group of kids who are for all from different parts of the track or different parts of the city. And it shows us truly that diversity is important in, in life or something, you know, it just, there, there could, you could put any collection of 23 individuals across the world in a playoff series with the Leafs. And now at this point, I don't think I'm going to believe the Leafs are favorites against any, any possible collection of 23 individuals. You could have 23 infants. You could have 23 cicadas. You could have, you know, a mix of, you know, just amoeba or plankton or krill or whatever the fuck <laughs> blue whales eat or whatever. You know what the tragedy um, is with the cicadas is that by losing this series, the Leafs are now on a longer cycle than the 17-year bugs. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. I do. You know what? It almost feels like the Leafs inculcated some of that because half of what they did to bring in in the offseason with Simmons and Thornton was like for the power of friendship. You know what I mean? And, and you know, like it looks kind of laughable now when they talk about grit and playoff performers and stuff like that. And, you know, nice guys who lead in the room and we brought them in and it made absolutely no difference seemingly. But mm. I, I do think that, that Kyle Dubas and I think a lot of people are wrestling with why isn't this team better? And I, I do understand that that's just like an overwhelming mystery for a lot of people who are Leafs fans who are thinking okay this is obviously this season's team was pretty clearly the best team that the Leafs have had since the 2005 lockout I I firmly believe that that's true and yet these same things keep coming up it it is baffling so yeah I, I don't trust them against the 23 curl either um can can you even have like a countable amount of krill? Like a, it's a non-count noun, krill. so I'm assuming no. But like, maybe with a microscope you can get them in discrete quantities. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's more cheerful than These talking the about we're the leaves. To ponder, but <laughs> yeah, um, we should talk about Dubas a yeah. bit. I think he's getting some justified um, stick for, I guess, the pivot to grit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say that you know slightly derisively because. If anyone has ever followed Dubas's career with any seriousness, they would know that he is 
uh, not averse to grit in any sense, mm -hmm. and has specifically tried to acquire it before. Um, you know, even prior to this year, with with players like Jake Muzzin, mm -hmm. with um, who else? I mean, TJ Brody's an obvious example too. Yeah, I mean, he's he's not like what he's sometimes painted as as this analytics nerd, and there was a bit of that in the again that ridiculous Pierre LeBron article where there there was a an anonymous executive parentheses probably Brian Burke who was saying you know analytics make all the decisions over there and I'm like really like did you see what yeah, he's done for the we, last we, year we also yeah we also acquired you know Kyle Clifford for example yeah noted analytics right. here although I guess now that's the Jack Campbell trade yeah. but yeah like I think it's clear Dubas has been trying different things to resolve the deficiency around this core that he's built. I don't want him fired, and I don't think he's going to be. I think the pressure on him is up, and now he has one year to win a round, or he is gone. Um, I mean, now I don't know that for sure. If the, the board of Major League Sports and Entertainment has had enough and decides to intervene, maybe that's a problem. But... I do think that he has has tried different things to try and supplement his core of players. And it hasn't worked. And now he's probably got to confront the possibility that the core isn't going to work in its current form at its current salary level. I'm curious to see if he comes to that same conclusion that I came to and what he does about it. You know, if he does decide to trade Mitch Marner, what does he get for him? What does he look for in the return? And what does he do with any cap space that he might free up by doing so? Um, needless to say, this is kind of a pivotal offseason in his career. They're all very significant. But if this happens again and he's fired, suddenly he's the GM who couldn't win a round with all the money in the world. I don't think he wants that on his resume as he approaches age 40. Um, and, and I do think that that he owns that a lot of these little moves bore no fruit. I think the fact that he overpaid Nick for Nick Foligno stings a lot, given the outcome. That's always the nature of rentals. I still like him. I still think that he's generally a, a decent man, and I think he's generally a smart GM. But uh, he's not where he has to be, I guess is where I'm coming to. Right, and I, I do think it's fair to... I mean... I, again, I was more positive on the Felino acquisition than a lot of people. It, it clearly did not work. Mm -hmm. uh, everyone's tired of pointing out that, yeah, Taylor Hall went a lot cheaper and is a better player. And, I, mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's obvious. Um, as it turned out, I think someone like Hall would have helped the Leafs a lot more, especially with the Tavares injury. Um, and with with Dubas's acquisitions in general, I mean, I criticized the Simmons acquisition at the time. Uh I criticized the well, the Thornton one. I thought was like mostly okay. They, they were all low risk, but the the risk really was um, this probably a this probably isn't the absolute best on ice product you can you can put out with the the money you're spending, mm -hmm. right? There are probably better players than Simmons and Thornton available. You're doing it at least in part because of sentiment. Uh, and B, I mean, to 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 what extent should this actually? matter this is this is the deck chairs yeah. on the titanic right so I, I think it's fair to criticize them and to say okay you know these moves really didn't work out um and 
you know, of course, the, one of the risks with both of these players was it's very hard to sit them, even with their play merited it, as it arguably did for Thornton for, for the back half of the season. Um, but this also isn't... It's not the, the decisions that matter the most, right? Um, on the decisions that matter the most, it's... You know, it's still kind of the same team, and I think that was by design, right? We, we all know mm-hmm. that. The, the intention was remove every last excuse for this core, see what they can do. And, you know, their yeah, sum total was not a lot. Yeah, and that's what I keep coming back to is in a perfect world, in a laboratory, I would have infinite samples to run with this core and I would know for sure whether they were the problem or whether they were just unlucky. In the real world, I do not have those things. In the real world, I have a string of disappointing performances in key games. And I have a couple of contracts that I'm kind of leery of, and one in particular that I have always thought was disproportionate to value. I don't have the patience to keep seeing whether I'm wrong about that. I believe Mitch Marner is good. I think that wherever he goes, he's going to be productive. He's going to have a great career. But I no longer want to be the person arguing for this core to stay together. I just don't think that it's shown to be good enough, and I think it's time for a change. Um, I don't have a lot else to add. <laughs> so, I, I feel like I still reject the idea that we have to trade Marner, and I know everyone is saying that. Yeah. And I, 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 do, see, I do see the logic in it, because it's not as if it's like, okay, let's trade Marner because we think he sucks. It's we've failed so many times that we're doing ourselves a disservice to not try something different. Mm-hmm. We're doing ourselves... It, it, it's like the height of arrogance to say, no, 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 I'm still convinced we are... This is our best course of action is to stay the course. Let's run it back again for the, the fourth year in a row. Right? That, that is inherently a somewhat arrogant thing to say. Um, and, you know, you look at this team and what are the other options to, to remake it? Right, you can't trade John Tavares because he has a no-move clause, and also, like, I mean, I, I, the sentiment shouldn't play into it, but God, that would be a fucking shit thing. To yeah, do. I'm, I am fine uh, not even exploring that because we don't have to. So yeah, yeah, I don't. I feel like you don't even ask. Yeah, the guy's brain just turned into a scrambled egg, playing for your team. Yeah, like, you. I, I, <laughs> yeah, and like Kyle Dubas has had some ethical standards in his conduct at the Maple Leafs. And I think that that would certainly violate them. So, yeah, he's off the table. Yes. Yeah. You, I mean, if you trade Matthews, I think it's, I mean, it's bold. It is bold. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the, Matthews is, is, is too obviously good to trade. Like, we're not going to take away really anything positive from this year. And side note, this is another thing that sucks about when you have an embarrassing fuck up in the playoffs, it retroactively makes every other thing you enjoyed that year tainted. Mm-hmm. Cause in the back of your mind is always, Oh yeah, that was the year we, you know, we, we, you know, embarrassingly lost a three, one lead to Montreal. Mm-hmm. Um, but like he did just win a rocket Richard. He's the odds on favor to do it again next year. Yeah. Like he's probably the best goal scorer in the world right now. And so it's like, you yeah. Well, what, what are you trying to accomplish? trading him right like okay cool yeah you've changed the core but it feels like in that position you've 
just made yourself a lot worse and there's no possible way to get better. With with Nylander, um, so we'll talk about Marner last because I guess that's the longer discussion. With Nylander, one, he's, I think, unequivocally proven that he's worth his contract. It's probably just a fair mm-hmm. deal. Two, he showed up this playoffs. It's probably not a great, um, you know, broad thing to broadcast of like, okay, yeah, even if you perform in the playoffs, like, we still might just trade you because fuck you. Yeah. Right? Like, like what, what point are you proving there? What, what's, what's the idea? And three, um, I still don't think you're, you're going to get that much from, from him. Like, if you're trading a fair contract, what, what you believe is a fair contract and what, like, the league believes is, a, is probably a fairish contract, although, you know, I think the league's probably still a bit dumb and might think he's overpaid. Yeah. Um, well, you know, are, are you just going to get a player who's making the same money and is also on a fair deal? Like, that just seems like you're shuffling deck chairs. Uh, it's, he's doesn't, he doesn't make enough money that you can really completely shift the allocation of assets across your team. At least not to the same degree with Marner. That's, that's the thing. If you trade Marner, which again, I don't necessarily think is the right thing to do, but the idea is you can actually reallocate money in a significant way. Right. And to be clear, I'm not saying trade Marner for peanuts. I don't think that he's, yeah. you know... A bad player that it's we need to unload. It's not expose him in the expansion. Yeah, and I saw people saying that. I think that's nuts. I think that you absolutely... <laughs> that's, fu- that's fucking insane. Yeah, no, th- that's bananas. I'm saying you have to shop around and see what's out there and then compare it to the team as currently exists. With some knowledge yeah. that the team as it currently exists is probably not where you want to be. Also, I saw like some people... And this is my fault because I went on Reddit. No, no. But I saw some people saying, like, oh, God, like, Marner's contract is untradeable. Who would want a proven playoff choker? It's like, what Whoa, the fuck? No. He's 24 and was fourth in the league in scoring. Like, chill out. Yeah, like, it took a long time for me to come to this point of, like, let's explore trades for Mitch Marner seriously. But it shouldn't be anyth- anything that you do, like, lightly. That's, you know, mm-hmm. it's a big, it's a franchise-altering move. And it... It absolutely can blow up on your team if you get it wrong. But at the same time, it's not just that he had a rough playoffs, an unproductive playoffs, although that is a factor. It's also that I've never been convinced he was worth the amount of money that he makes. And so if I'm looking at I need to restructure, my mind goes to, okay, what is the big contract I've always thought was a problem? You know, I was sort of resigned to it as long as I thought he could perform at the level necessary for a contender. I say it's the kind of overpay you live with. But if this team is not a serious contender, it's not where it needs to be, then that becomes a a glaring kind of problem to me, even though he's still very good. And if, this conversation absolutely sounds different if he signed for 8.5. You know, but he didn't. Um, yeah, like it's... It's difficult to really get a, a read on how good of a player Mitch Marner really is. He's obviously good. His vision is great. His lateral agility is great. He seems to me like a superb complementary player. If you put him with really good players, they can be very productive together. But I don't think that he can drive things by himself to the extent that he needs to, to be a real core player. You know, the whole idea with the Leafs was the two first lines thing. That line has to be productive. It can't even just dominate in Corsi. It has to actually outscore its opposition. And during the season it did, but I'm seriously questioning whether Marner can 
during 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 the playoffs it did too, just not at the right time. Yeah, and you know what? Like, it is possible I'm just over influenced by the results, but I can't get over the idea that we play we paid a very very good supporting player, like he is a very very good star player. I don't know if I can reconcile that in my head. So. Yeah, I I don't I I, I mean, there's no there's no there's no easy there's no fun answer right yeah. um. It's just. It's just shit all the way down. Yeah, and I mean like that's kind of how it it has to be, you know. It sucks for us because we've devoted a ungodly amount of time in our lives to following the Toronto Maple Leafs and talking about them and writing about them and all that sort of stuff. But this result is so far short of everything that this team reasonably could have expected of itself. There has to be a reaction that's negative. You know, people are within their rights to criticize the team, like for legitimate on ice reasons. But yeah, I just like, I'm at the point now where I don't buy this version of the Toronto beliefs. They haven't done enough to convince me that, I should believe in them. So I don't believe in them, and I'm advocating for them to make a change. Yeah, I, I, I don't have anything to say. I mean, it's... It's really dumb that my mood is impacted so much by these fucking losers. Yeah, I just... You know, we could have done so much else with our lives. We could have learned languages. We really could have. Yeah. We, oh, I know. Th- think about all the productive hours we could have had if we just didn't like hockey you know that malcolm gladwell thing about ten thousand hours i know that that's a little bit hokey but like mm. there's no question we devoted ten thousand hours of this stupid team over our lives mm. yeah. yeah well <sighs> okay well um i think that pretty much wraps up what we have to say to be honest this is if you've made it you know 80 minutes in and you're a leafs fan <laughs> Um, we, we, we salute you. You are as fucked up as we are. Yeah. <laughs> and we um, feel sorry for you and sharing your pain. Yes. If you're a fan of another team that is, like, hate listening or, like, glee listening or schadenfreude listening, um, I mean, I, I, I respect it. I would have done the same thing. Yeah, so. no, I mean, we get it. Like, fuck you, but we get it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so this is normally where I do the outro, but... Who gives a fuck where you can catch mine and Fuleman's work or where, where, where you can follow us on Twitter? Um, life is pain. Eat at Arby's. Goodbye.